Hello everyone, welcome back to Sporthawk Sound. I hope you're having a lovely day and doing really, really well. This week has been a little bit of a crazy week in football. We've had Fulham winning 5-0 twice, Bournemouth beating Man United at Old Trafford, Sheffield United getting their second win of the season, and now Aston Villa are just two points away from the top of the table. But none of that is what we're here to talk about today, because I want to talk about Chelsea. I know that Chelsea's form maybe isn't the most surprising thing that's happened this week, but at the weekend they did lose for the third time in five matches, so I think it's about time we look at what's actually going wrong at the club. Of course, where else to start other than Chelsea versus Everton last weekend? First, I think it's important to realise that this was never going to be an easy game for Chelsea. Of course, it was an away game. They were playing at Goodison Park. And at the moment, after their 10-point deduction, every single game that Everton are playing is huge. Obviously, on paper, this does seem like a relatively easy fixture for Chelsea. But Sean Dyche is doing so well at Everton right now and has brought the fans and the team together so well after their 10-point deduction. They've definitely improved on last season. They've only lost one in their last eight games now and won six of those. Let's not forget, they also beat Newcastle 3-0 last Thursday. Without their 10-point deduction, Everton would be in the top half of the table now. Ever since they were given the 10-point deduction for breaking financial fair play rules, Everton have won three out of their four games since then. So whilst the table does suggest that this is a winnable game for Chelsea, there is actually a lot of data saying otherwise. But despite this, with the money spent on Chelsea's squad, you'd be forgiven for thinking that they could go and beat anyone in the league, especially when you compare it to the amount of money Everton has spent in the last few seasons. The Toffees have made a few good signings this season. They brought in Beto for €25 million Euros and they got Jack Harrison in on loan from Leeds. But if you add it all up, in the last two seasons, they spent just €120 million Euros combined. And if you look at how much money Chelsea have spent, it's like they're playing two different games. In the last three transfer windows, so since the summer of 2022, Chelsea has spent 1 billion euros on 25 different players. And let's be completely honest, they still look no better than they did before. Currently, Chelsea are 12th in the Premier League, they've played 16 games and they've only managed to get 5 wins. This is the same amount as Brentford, Wolves and Bournemouth, all of which have identical records to them. So they have the same amount of wins, same amount of draws and the same amount of losses. And they're also closer to the relegation zone than they are to the top 5 in terms of points. So none of this is particularly good reading for Chelsea fans. So the point of today's show is to have a little deep dive into Chelsea and see if we can diagnose the problem. Because at the moment, Chelsea aren't performing to the level that they're used to and with the amount of money that that's been spent they really should be doing better so is it the manager's fault is it the owner or is it the players that have been brought in to try and revitalize the squad i'm going to be taking a little look at chelsea's transfers and seeing which of the players that have been brought in are value for money i'm going to be basing this on mostly their ability their transfer value and how they're performing so far but first of all before we go into all that I just want to say it's crazy that after spending more money than any other team in history of football that Chelsea are still in position where many of their players in the squad just aren't good enough. And recently I've seen Pochettino is already talking about signing more players in the January transfer window. So it's pretty clear to me that the money that's already been spent has been spent poorly, or at least in most occasions. But I am going to be trying to look at both sides of the story, the positives and the negatives for you Chelsea fans. Hopefully this won't all be doom and gloom for you, but even if it is, you're probably still going to spend another 300 million in January anyway, so it's probably going to be alright. So before we have a real deep dive on Chelsea and their squad, I do want to talk a little bit about the obvious problem that Chelsea have, which is the ownership. And yes, they have spent a lot of money, which many people would label as ambition. 
But since Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital acquired the club in 2022, the Blues pretty much have been on a significant decline despite the investments made. So first of all, this does show us thankfully that money isn't everything in football and you can't necessarily buy instant success. So this should give us football fans a little bit of hope for the future of football. But this also shows us the importance of having football people within the club to make decisions. And this is definitely something that Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital are lacking on. Having the right people to make decisions on transfers, on football activities, it feels like a lot of the decisions are being made by Todd Bowley himself. And yes, he is a successful businessman, but he's not a football man. And there's been countless previous examples of those two things not correlating. Already in the time of their ownership, Chelsea have had four managers in just two seasons. And none of them have had a higher win percentage than just 42%. And this just clearly isn't high enough for a team that want to be challenged for the league and cup trophies. But what I'd be worrying about the most as a Chelsea fan is that regardless of any results, Chelsea are actually just playing to the level of a mid-table side. This season, the club ranked 8th for goals scored and are only scoring around 1.6 per game. Funny enough, they're conceding exactly the same amount, which is 11th best in the league. And if you compare this to current league leaders Liverpool, they're scoring 2.3 goals per game and only conceding 0.9. But in terms of the team's attack, it is actually relatively strong. But Chelsea are currently underperforming their expected goals by around 4. And for expected goals this season, they are 4th in the league. But due to poor finishing, they've only scored 26 goals from their expected 30. They've also missed a massive 32 big chances this season, which is joint most. So it seems like creating chances isn't a problem for Chelsea. It's the lack of a confident and clinical striker to finish them off. You can definitely put part of this problem down to losing Christopher Nkunku before the season even started. This was a guy Chelsea brought in from RB Leipzig for big money in the summer who was meant to lead the Chelsea attack. The fact he's missed the whole season through injury so far is a huge problem. Nicholas Jackson was also brought in last summer for 37 million euros from Villarreal, but he's clearly just not good enough to play number nine for Chelsea week in, week out. He has scored six goals in the Premier League this season, and that's in 15 games, although three of those goals were against a nine-man Spurs team. And I don't think that many Chelsea fans would argue with me that he's not good enough to be the club's starting striker this season. For me, this is a perfect example of the problem with Chelsea's new transfer policy. They spend significant fees on players that just aren't guaranteed to perform. And staying on Nicholas Jackson, six months prior to joining Chelsea, he was heavily linked to Bournemouth and Southampton. And this only really fell through because they had injury concerns. Whilst he did actually have a strong end to the season, he still only scored 13 goals for Villarreal. Whilst I wouldn't consider this a low number for a striker, especially a young one, I just don't think this necessarily represents a player who's ready to contribute at the level Chelsea are wanted to play at. Because whilst Nicholas Jackson was promising at Villarreal, he definitely wasn't setting the world alight. But now he's playing at Chelsea and he's played around 75% of minutes this season for the club. And they're definitely relying on him more than they thought they would need to. But actually, if you look at the squad, there's not that many other options out there. Yes, Christopher Nkunku's injured, but he's not actually a number nine. So it does seem a bit weird to me that they signed this player and they didn't sign another experienced player up front with him. Or at least one who has a more proven goal scoring record. And I mean, even if you're expecting Nkunku to play up front and argue that Jackson is just a cover option, 37 million euros still isn't an insignificant fee for a player. And I'm sure you can get a player of better quality for that kind of fee. I think there's definitely a strong argument that there's better value in the market for strikers for that kind of money. And don't get me wrong, I'm definitely not saying that it's wrong to go out and sign young players before they explode and become astronomically expensive. Because this has been done well over and over again by clubs like RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund. And it's clear that Chelsea are trying to attempt to cut out the middleman and sign young wonder kids before they explode. However, so far, this plan just isn't working for multiple reasons. First of all, young players thrive when they're given game time. 
Jude Bellingham, Jadon Sancho, Musiala, Xavi Simmons. These are all players who went to Germany for low or minimal fees and play consistently for their respective sides from a young age. Whereas Chelsea just simply aren't able to offer many of their young signings the chance to play every single week. And this is partly because they've just made too many signings and have a bloated squad. And this means that their young players like Madueke, Gusto, Chukomenka, who are all brought in on significant fees by the way, have hardly even had the chance to feature at all. Alongside this, at clubs such as RB Leipzig, where they have such a great record of blooding young talents, there is also a spine of experience which is there to allow the young players to come in and not feel the weight of expectation on their shoulders. Whereas many of the Chelsea players that have come in have felt so much expectation almost immediately because they're coming into a squad with so much change and they're expected to perform. At Leipzig specifically, yes, many of their stars are young, you know, they have Javi Simmons, Simakan, Sesko. But they also have experienced players like David Raum, Schlager, Klosterman and Willy Orban. All of which are experienced players for RB Leipzig or other German Bundesliga teams. So Chelsea are really missing a strong spine of the squad. The lack of this in Chelsea's squad isn't just about the amount of young players that have come in, but also the amount of players that have left the team as well. Just this season, the amount of experienced players that have left Stamford Bridge is staggering. Mason Mount, Mateo Kovacic, Kai Havertz, N'Golo Conte, Cesar Aspilicueta, and Hakim Zayab, just to name a few. And yes, whilst many of these players were determined to no longer be fit for purpose or be the level of Chelsea anymore, but the experience and the quality that these guys provide at big moments and have offered in the past has clearly been underestimated. So selling so many in a short period of time hasn't allowed new players to settle into the club and will have completely changed the culture of the team. It's removed any kind of base for young players to build off as they were expected to come into the squad and perform straight away. This just simply isn't a great environment if you want players with limited experience to thrive and grow. But Chelsea have also spent significant funds on individual players as well, to the extent where you would expect them to come in and perform straight away. They spent a Premier League record €116 million Euros on Caicedo, 121 on Enzo Fernandez, 70 million euros on Mudrick, 65 on Cucurella, 56 on Sterling, 80 million euros on Fafana, and 62 million on Nkunku. And despite these significant fees, prior to signing, you could argue that Sterling is the only one of these players that's come in as a proven player at the top of the Premier League. Of course, you could still argue that Nkunku's a top player, being the Bundesliga player of the season last year. And yes, Cucurella and Fafana both have Premier League experience coming from Brighton and Leicester, respectively. Cucurella had only actually played one season for Brighton and Fafana was signed despite coming off a huge injury that kept him out for 63 matches. Caicedo of course was also signed for Brighton but he'd only actually played 45 matches for them too. That's more or less the equivalent of one whole season. Enzo Fernandez came in as the club's most expensive transfer ever. Of course a World Cup winner but again, one good season at Benfica, suddenly he's worth 120 million euros. Because in my opinion, players should only really be signed for this kind of money if they're close enough to becoming a guarantee for your team. And one year at senior professional level just doesn't cut it for me, regardless of how talented a player is. So paying 120 million euros for a 21-year-old who has one season in Portugal is absolutely crazy to me. This also demonstrates the amount of bias that's placed on the World Cup. Yes, it is the most prestigious tournament in football, but that is more based around the achievement of winning a trophy for your country. And also with that, of course, it only happens every four years, so that adds to it too. But Argentina's World Cup win vastly inflated Enzo's perceived value. And let's not forget, coming into the tournament, he wasn't even really the first choice in midfield for Argentina. That definitely doesn't take away from the level of performances that he did produce. But Chelsea should have recognised this overvaluation and moved on to other targets. Mudrik is another one, but we'll talk more about him later. 
Obviously, they did beat Arsenal to his signature. But let's just say, I think that Mudrik would be in a better place in his career if he had moved to Arsenal. Granted, the Ukrainian did produce some good performances in the Champions League prior to his move to London. But so did Mohamed Elianusi at Basel before moving to Southampton. So it looks like the transfer policy is clearly a problem. But what other factors are there that could be affecting Chelsea's form? Well, the club have faced a number of significant injuries to big players that definitely would have affected the whole team's performances. As I previously mentioned, Nkunku has been out for the whole season and is just on his way back now. Players like Romeo Lavia are obviously in a similar situation as well. Ben Chilwell was also an important player at the start of the season for Chelsea and he's been out for a little while now. But most importantly, Reese James is constantly injured and I'm now really starting to worry for his career. He could have been England starting right back at the Euros this summer. He's obviously the Chelsea captain right now and because of a new injury, he's not expected to be back until March. Wesley Favano has also missed 45 games through injury since he joined in 2022. So there's a lot of big players who aren't able to play week in, week out. So this is definitely a contributing factor to the problems that Mauricio Pochettino has had. But to be fair, Chelsea aren't the only side struggling with injuries right now. Manchester United and Spurs have both had similar problems. And whilst they both had inconsistent seasons so far, they both hit much higher levels and sit much higher in the table than Chelsea. I think it's also a fair opinion to suggest that after spending 1 billion on the squad, you should almost always be able to ha have the capabilities to put out a competitive squad every single week. And if we look at the manager, yes, Mauricio Pochettino is yet to set the world alight at Chelsea, but is he really the problem? In my opinion, definitely not. He's attempting to deal with all these previous things that we've mentioned. And I know he's not doing a great job currently, but I would also argue that not many managers have had a better track record at progressing young players than him. And this is the sort of guy they definitely need if this project is going to work out. He's done it to great success with Spurs and Southampton previously, and he definitely needs to be given the chance to succeed at Chelsea. And to be honest, I think by signing so many young players, the Chelsea board are basically stating that the squad is a project and that instant success isn't vital. Well, at least that's what their actions suggest. And I think Todd Bowley just has to back Pochettino. In my opinion, he doesn't really have an option now. He's already had too many failed appointments in his time there, so he really needs to stick with his gun on this one. Otherwise, I think his vision for the Chelsea process will lose more and more credibility. So that is a little overview of what I believe is really going wrong at Chelsea. I'm now going to analyse every signing currently made under the ownership of Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital. And I'm kind of going to be rating them on a hit or miss basis just to kind of justify how many of their signings have been positive. I'm not going to be looking at all their signings because there has been so many of them and some of the players haven't even featured at all for the first team. But I'm going to be breaking down the most significant ones. Okay, so Todd Bowley took over at Chelsea in 2022 from Roman Abramovich. Many of you will know this already. But in that summer, the new ownership really wanted to make an impression. And that's exactly what they did. They signed eight players with the most expensive signing being Wesley Fofana for around 80 million euros from Leicester City. And right away, this goes in our miss category. Wesley Fofana was an extremely promising player at Leicester and was definitely one of their most important defenders at the time. He was young, talented and previously played in France before moving to the Premier League. However, his injuries were a blatant concern even before moving to London. So 80 million euros was always going to be a lot for a player who's coming off a huge injury layoff. Yes, he is very talented, but he's only played 24 games for Chelsea since signing. Although I do think if he is able to finally find some fitness and start featuring for Chelsea, this could all change. But for now, he's definitely a miss. Alongside Fafana was Raheem Sterling, who was brought in for 65 million euros from Manchester City. 
At the time, this was a bit of an interesting transfer. We weren't expecting Manchester City to let Raheem Sterling go because he was one of the most important players. Obviously, he is a huge talent and has bags of experience at the top level. He has four Premier League trophies, one FA Cup, five League Cups, and was a constant for a dominant Manchester City side for quite a long time. At the time of writing, he scored 120 Premier League goals and recorded 83 assists, which is very impressive. But since moving to Chelsea, we haven't quite seen that prime Raheem Sterling for prolonged periods of time. At times at Chelsea, we've even seen him play at right wing back. And he definitely didn't have the immediate impact at Chelsea that the fans would have been expecting. But this season, we are seeing Sterling return to form and he is slowly becoming the Blues' most talismanic player. This season, he has five goals and three assists in 16 league games. And he's been one of the most ever-present Chelsea players in that front line, especially this season. Although I have seen Chelsea fans complaining a lot recently about his defensive work rate, but in general, this season, he's provided a number of good performances on the wing. So I think it's fair to say that Raheem Sterling is going down as a hit. Todd Bowley also did his best to bring in more defensive cover this season with Mark Cucurella and Kaludu Koulibaly. And Koulibaly looked like the sure thing coming from Napoli, 38 million euros. He has 62 appearances for Senegal and 317 appearances for Napoli. But at the time he came in, he was 30 years old. He was £160,000 a week, which is a lot for a player at any age. And this is a guy you thought would bring in a lot of experience, but also someone who is most likely going to decline. And that is exactly what's happened, but probably a lot quicker than Chelsea were thinking. Last season, he made 32 appearances for Chelsea. And after just that one season, he was sold to Al Halal. So I think we can put Koulibaly down as a miss. This season, a club also brought in Aubameyang, Chukwemenka, Slonia and Denis Sicario on loan for a combined 42 million euros. Aubameyang is now playing in France for Marseille and he's actually doing pretty well. He has five goals in four games in the Europa League and five goals and six assists in 15 games in the league. But for Chelsea, he only scored one goal in 550 minutes. If we're looking at players like Chokomenka, he's a very promising player, but he's yet to have much chance to play in the first team since moving from Aston Villa. Before his injury, it did seem like he was going to get a little bit more time in the first team this season. He could definitely become a great signing, but we're yet to see much from him so far, so it's kind of undetermined. So after spending €281 million Euros on signings in their first transfer window, Clear Lake Capital and Todd Bowley were not done yet. They went and spent a further €329 million Euros in January, and this brought their spending up to €610 million Euros for one season. And of course, the first signing was Enzo Fernandez, who came in from Benfica for €121 million. Euros. As I previously mentioned, he is an exciting player. A World Cup winner, he won the Young Player of the Tournament as well. Chelsea did need to address their midfield issues with Kante and Kovacic's lack of fitness and Jorginho's lack of physicality. And Enzo kind of has done this. He's been an ever-presence in Chelsea's midfield ever since. He's played 94% of minutes for Chelsea this season, and he's also played 18 games for them in the second half of last season. His performances have been okay, but nothing special. He's only scored two goals and registered three assists in the Premier League in the first year of his time at Chelsea. But to put this in perspective, he did score the same amount of goals in 19 games for Argentina. If I'm honest, overall, I feel it's harsh to label Enzo as a miss because of his ever-presence in the Chelsea midfield. But I do think he needs to do more week in, week out to justify his price tag. He does have great passing numbers, great long balls, expected assists, passes. They're all in the top 5% of midfielders. His shooting's also not that bad too. But overall, we're just not seeing quite enough from Enzo every single week especially for a player that was signed for 121 million euros. Although that's definitely not his fault. 
Mudrick is another one who came in on huge hype and just definitely hasn't lived up to it so far. He's clearly got pace and can be a threat in certain situations, but again, 70 million euros. He's only scored two goals and got one assist. So far, this one looks like a huge overpay. And that doesn't mean that Mudrick is a bad player. It just means he's not a player worth 70 million euros. He's also only featured in 44% of minutes for Chelsea this season and has never been brought off the bench by Pochettino, which is a huge concern for me as well. It's clear he's not being considered as a threat off the bench, even when Chelsea are chasing games. And that's the time you would think you need a quick, lively player to come in and make a difference. He definitely shows short sparks of genius and talent, but nowhere near often enough. Mudrick's also on a huge contract and large wages, so even if he doesn't prove to be the quality of player that's required by Chelsea in the long term, he could be on their books for a really long time. This is definitely one of the risks of Chelsea's current transfer strategies, which they've been using to avoid financial fair play rules so far. They are spreading out the funds of transfers over eight years or so, but this also means that they're banking on each of these players to perform at the club consistently in the long term. So this Mudrick situation is an example of when this may cause more problems in the future for the club. It is important to note for players like Mudrick that they are young and they have plenty of time to improve. I am just calling the transfers as I see them right now. He could absolutely prove me wrong. But have I seen enough from Mudrick right now to justify his price tag? Absolutely not. Therefore, I think he's definitely going down as another miss. I'm just going to throw Badishile, Madueke and Malo Gusto in the same bracket here. They were all bought for between 30 and 40 million euros. None of them have played significant minutes in the first team. But the issue I have with this is between them, Chelsea spent 100 million euros. And none of them improved the starting 11. Yes, they do offer depth. But this is still a lot of money to play on players who are likely not going to start in their strongest 11. Badishile has only played three times so far in 23-24. Although he has been out with injury, and he did sit on the bench for five games before his injury. Madueke has played six times in the league this season and is yet to provide a goal or assist. And Malo Gusto has played nine times, starting six of them, and has actually had some decent highlights. The point is though, Chelsea are filling their squad with good players, but almost all of them are under the age of 22 and provide no guarantee if called upon. When you look at the bargains made by other clubs around the league, it puts in perspective the amount of money that's been wasted on this Chelsea squad. For example, Chelsea have spent 110 million euros on Mudrik, Madueke and Joao Felix on loan in this transfer window. But in this same season, other clubs made some great value signings on the wing instead. Leeds signed Nonto for 4.5 million. Atalanta signed Lukman for 9 million euros. Wolfsburg also signed Jonas Wynn from Copenhagen for 12 million euros. And that one's really looking like a great transfer at the moment. And just the season before this, Brighton signed Matoma for 3 million euros. Brissett Dortmund signed Marlon for 30 million euros. Arsenal even signed Odegaard for 35 million euros. Yes, he's not necessarily a winger, but still great value. Crystal Palace signed Elise for 9 million euros. And even you could look at Luis Diaz to Liverpool for 45 million euros. There's actually just an endless list of wingers and forwards who would have provided Chelsea with a lot more value for money. I'm not actually saying that all the players I just mentioned would start for Chelsea but I'm sure every single one of them would have provided more value for money for the position they would play in that squad. Anyway, I do want to quickly touch on the six-month loan of Joao Felix to Chelsea from Atletico Madrid, which I thought was ridiculous at the time and I still do now. An 11 million euro loan fee for a player who offers no guarantee or experience in the league who was out of favour at his parent club. He's also a player that Chelsea had no chance of signing at the end of his loan deal because he just signed a new huge contract at Atletico. So here's a few numbers about Felix's time at Chelsea. 
He played 16 times for the club in the league. He scored four goals and registered zero assists. He got one red card and cost 4 million euros per goal, 750,000 euros per appearance and 12,000 euros per minute played. This signing in particular might be my least favourite out of all of the signings that Chelsea have made under Todd Bowley. Purely due to the money that was always going to be wasted on this signing. It was only ever going to be worth it if Joao Felix was going to come in and make Chelsea win the league or a trophy. Joao Felix definitely isn't a bad player, but he plays in the same position as many of the other guys that they brought in in the same window. They'd literally just spent significant money on other wingers. And this signing would stop many of these players having opportunities to grow in a position in the first team. There was literally no forward planning for this transfer, so it definitely goes down as a miss. Finally, we're going to move on to the summer of 2023, which is the most recent transfer window that we've had. And in this transfer window, Chelsea signed another nine players. So they really continue to splash the cash. In fact, this was Chelsea's biggest ever spend in a transfer window. The club spent 412 million euros, and that brings up their overall spend to 1 billion. If I'm being completely honest, it feels hard to judge many of these transfers as realistically many of them have only been at the club for around six months. In many cases, it's not enough time to fairly judge how sound of an investment each player is. As of today though, I think Chelsea's summer of 2023 has provided the most positivity for Chelsea fans. As I did previously mention, Moises Casado was brought in for a huge fee for a player who's limited experience at the top level. And really, this season, he hasn't demonstrated anything like the same kind of form he was producing at Brighton in the last season. He's played 1,095 minutes. His passing and dribbling numbers have been decent this season. He completes around 56 passes per game with a 92% pass accuracy. But in many respects, his numbers are down on last season, especially defensively. He's only completing 1.5 tackles, 0.9 interceptions and 0.16 blocks per 90. You could partly put this down to him playing in a more ball-dominant side than last season, but he hasn't really made up for this going forwards. He's yet to get a goal or an assist, and he's not creating anything either. He's currently producing 0.04 expected assists per 90. But despite all this, Caicedo has shown that he is a great player, especially when he's in a stable system. So I am expecting an improvement from him in the second half of the season. That is, if Chelsea can start to balance and stabilise their starting eleven. At the moment, he's not really playing like a £100 million player, but I still think he could be a great signing for Chelsea in the long term. And if I was a Chelsea fan, I would stay positive about Caicedo. I think there's a lot more to come from him. Romeo Lavia is another one who's hardly featured since joining for €60 million Euros from Southampton. I've watched Lavia play on numerous occasions and he's such a talented player. I can see exactly why Chelsea and Liverpool were both desperate to sign him. And like many signings on this list, he is extremely young and unexperienced. So it's safe to say he's not the finished article. But when he is back from injury, I'm sure we're going to see him make a decent impact pretty quickly on this Chelsea side. And very soon, his quality will be evident for all to see. Again, no, he is another player who's come in with less than a clean injury record. He's only played one full season of professional football. And in that season, he was injured as well. He played 34 matches for Southampton last season, but he did miss 10 games with a hamstring injury. And he's already missed 14 games for Chelsea with two separate injuries. So this is something I am a little bit concerned about. He is already starting to build up a patchy injury record. I can see this being a transfer that will most likely pay off in the long term. As I previously mentioned in this episode, Christopher Nkunku came in after a great season with RB Leipzig. 
He scored 16 goals and got 6 assists in 25 Bundesliga games, which is a great record. And overall, I think this is a great signing. He's been unlucky so far with injuries, but he is the type of player I do think Chelsea should be targeting when they're bringing in these big money transfers. He does have proven ability at a high level. He's also a good age profile and he comfortably improves Pochettino's side when he is fit. Again, I love Cole Palmer as well, and I'm so surprised Manchester City let him go. I guess they just have so many forward options now, he was never going to get in that side for prolonged periods of time. He wasn't really getting game time at Manchester City, but when he did play, he was great. This season, he does have five goals, most of which are penalties. But this does show his character and he's come into the squad and taken this role straight away. He does get in good scoring positions as well and he is also relatively creative. At only 21 years old, he plays like a player who is going to achieve things and win trophies in the future. So this is a signing I love and definitely one of my favourite transfers that Chelsea have made in the last three windows. So overall, this transfer window was a lot more positive for Chelsea. If these players can get over their injuries, I think they're going to be in a much better place. But the final player I do want to talk about is Axel Dezassi. And for me, a 45 million euro defender has to come in and look assured. If you look at Van der Ven, who was signed for a similar amount by Spurs, he looks double the player of Dezassi at the moment. And we have to remember that 45 million euros isn't an insignificant fee. Yes, for a team like Chelsea or Manchester City or Manchester United, it might not seem like a crazy amount. But the majority of teams in the country haven't spent that on a single player in their whole history. And not only has Dezassi not lived up to this price tag, but apparently he's already up for sale, which isn't a good sign. He has actually started a majority of Chelsea's games this season, but even so, he just hasn't really been that great. Obviously, he was signed from Monaco in the summer, and he is 25 years old now, so he does come in with a decent amount of professional games under his belt. He is 6'3", but he only wins 59% of his aerial duels, 0.07 blocks and 3.93 duels per 90, which are all very low for defenders. So this one isn't really looking like a great transfer and overall it's worrying the amount of money that has been spent on this defence. But Thiago Silva is still one of Chelsea's most crucial defenders and he is 39 now. Chelsea have brought in three French centre-backs for Fana, Badia and De Sassi, but none of them have really looked that convincing. Hopefully for Chelsea, these guys can really step up, find their form, find their fitness and start to form a strong centre-back partnership at Chelsea. One that's future-proof. Overall, we do need to be giving these players a little bit more time to settle in, but the frequency of transfers in and out of Chelsea has made this increasingly difficult for this to happen. So after looking at all the transfers that Chelsea have made in the last three transfer windows, I think it's pretty clear that the transfer strategy is one of the roots of the problems that Chelsea are facing right now. The club have become too focused on signing young and promising players that they seem to have built a squad that's jam-packed full of talent, but that's just lacking experienced leaders and reliable heads. But anyway, what do you think? Have I been too harsh on Chelsea's transfer business or do you think the Blues need to change their strategy? Either way, if you've enjoyed this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow Sporthawk Sound whilst you're there. Thank you so much for listening to the show and I'll be back very soon with another episode of Sport Hawk Sound.